Naomi Wilkinson and you are listening to A Good Old Natter. It's that time for A Good Old Natter with Dan Parker. Thank you, Peter. Yes, hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of A Good Old Natter, my podcast series hosted by me, Dan Parker. This is the podcast in which each episode, I have a general chit-chat with a special guest about their life, career, and just about anything, really. In this latest episode of A Good Old Natter, I'm delighted to be joined by the very lovely Naomi Wilkinson, television presenter, wildlife and nature enthusiast, and eco-warrior. Naomi talked to me about her career in television, overcoming and facing her fears, and just why it's so important that we all wake up and do all we can to save the environment. I hope you enjoy. So, Naomi Wilkinson, a very warm welcome to Good Old Natter. How are you doing? I'm so pleased to meet you in person at last, Dan. I've been just meaning to meet you for so long now. It's great to finally meet you. Nice to be Twitter buddies, but really good to finally meet you face to face. You too. Are you you Dan or Daniel? Uh, Well, most people call me Dan. Okay, Dan. But it's kind of half and half. People generally don't call me Danny. Okay, I won't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like... You're allowed. (laughs) So, Naomi, this is really, really exciting for me because I can remember watching you on fingertips on CITV <gasps> back in the day with Stephen Mulhern. Yeah. If I remember rightly, I think you came in after Fern. That's right. So Fern Cotton, she did two series, and then I joined series three and four. And how was that? It was great. So I did one series with Stephen Mulhern, and then he moved on, and then I did... Oh, no, I did two series after that with Tim Dixon. Best memories of working on that show? Steve Mulhern is one of the funniest people to work with. Um, I knew him previously because we'd both been red coats at Butlins. He was there the year before me. He left, but he used to come back and do his magic shows all the time. So I was quite familiar with Steve and we knew each other fairly well. But he is someone who just messes around in the studio all the time. So he's always playing practical jokes on you. He's always winding you up. He's always trying to make you laugh and put you off. So... I had such a good time working with him, and then Tim's just absolutely lovely person. Um, we've all stayed in touch since, so yeah, it was a great show. I feel like Stephen needs to get you on catchphrase. Oh, that'd be good, <laughs> except I would be useless. As would I. I always look at Mr Chips and don't have a clue what he's doing. <laughs> I don't know. See what you see, and I try, and it's wrong. No, no, you're obviously a, a TV presenter, but I was looking at your Twitter bio, and there's a whole array of things on there. It says that you're a wildlife surfing, classical music loving eco warrior. <laughs> but the one that really intrigued me was Master Rubik's Cubes. Yeah. So, are you just some sort of Rubik's Cube genius, are you? No, not really. It's just that I can solve a Rubik's Cube. I spent a lot of time in my youth teaching myself how to do it. And I still really, really enjoy just, you know, I'll watch telly and just sit and play with a Rubik's Cube now. And if I see one that's scrambled, I can't resist, you know, solving it. I kind of wish I brought one with me now. Yeah, I've got one. I can always get it. We'll do that. And show you. (laughs) Been solving many during lockdown? Yeah, I've been, yeah, honestly, I've got it out. I like watching EastEnders. That's a big favourite yeah, of mine. Big EastEnders. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ah, oh, it's yeah. lovely meeting another yeah, EastEnders yeah, yeah. fan. Yeah, every night. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I love it. Um, so glad it's back on. Me too. They're doing such a good yeah, job yeah. of working around the whole, you know, social distancing thing. Some while back, I did a thing at EastEnders where I um, met uh, Adam Woodjack, Paisley, and Bill. Yeah. And I can remember going into it, and I just knew at the time I'd call him Ian Bill, which I did by mistake. Did I, actually you? Did. I actually did. I would do that. Once while I was working at Channel Five, I bumped into Paul Robinson from Neighbours. Yep in the lift and I went oh hello Paul Robinson like an absolute loser and I'm just so 
painfully embarrassed, wish I could sink through. No, we're the not floor. the only ones. It's probably common. I know. You just know them so well off the telly, don't you? Yeah. When you watch those soaps. And, and how has, has lockdown been for you in general? A testing time? Yeah. Yeah. Like for everybody. It's been... Some parts of it have been lovely. I am so thankful that we have a garden. I feel really fortunate to have a bit of open space that's just ours. That's been a real lifesaver this year. Just to come and sit and watch the birds that you might be able to hear in the background. Yeah. And just to slow things down because mm. life sometimes life is, is such a rush and... I'm from one place to another, always packing my bags and being in different hotel rooms, which is so much fun, but to just stop sometimes is quite nice. So I enjoyed the kind of stopping, but I I love working, mm. and I found that really, really difficult, that work just sort of disappeared. You know, we, we were supposed to be filming Marrying Mum and Dad, another series yeah. of that this year, which is the show where children plan their parents' weddings. And it's such a great idea for a show as oh, well. Oh, it's so funny. But we were supposed to be making Series 8 of that this year and um, that just got cancelled, obviously, because we can't have weddings. So we were just left with this sort of big gaping hole of what do we do? And, yeah, the arts have been hit so badly, haven't they? So, mm. But, no, just trying to stay focused on what we are lucky to have, you know, and feeling so sorry for people who've just got it really, really tough at the moment. And, and during lockdown, I know that you've actually taken to your YouTube channel to put together the, the fun little uh, nursery rhyme routines <laughs> for little ones, which parents can do with their children. Oh, thank and, you for noticing. Oh, well, I, I just, you know, I can't wait to start doing them with my little nephew, to be honest. <laughs> um, um, how important has this been to you that despite lockdown, how important has it been to you that you're still able to use your experience and, and your talents to put content out there from home for people? Well, you know, I've worked in children's telly for over 20 years now, and it's just where my heart is. I love trying to entertain children, trying to cheer them up. And I just feel like this year, children have had such a tough time of it. You know, it's hard enough for us adults to understand. And I think children are so confused and feeling a bit lost and not quite, you know, looking to adults for answers and we haven't got any. So I think anything that we can do to brighten their mood, lift their spirits, cheer them up, get them bouncing around a little bit, you know, burning up a little bit of the energy that might help their parents feel a little bit less stressed being locked up and cooped up together. I, I just thought it was my duty to try and do anything I can to to cheer up children but I have been filming them right here in my garden they're just so upbeat and positive though they're, they're really nice oh well I, I I really I've really enjoyed them and it's been fun because my dad he was a solicitor mm. for his career but he did an awful lot of music in his spare time and so I got together with him at the beginning and I was like do you fancy making some backings for some nursery rhymes for me and it was like he didn't have anything else to do because he was locked down and it was like I just set him off and he just almost Every day he was sending me another nursery rhyme backing. I was like, Dad, you're going so fast. I haven't had a chance to record them or sing them or film them. So, yeah, bless him. He went on a roll. So it was a really nice project to do with my dad, actually. Your own personal favourite nursery rhyme? What would you say is yours? At the minute, the one, the one I like best that I've done was Old MacDonald. Oh, right oh classic. Yeah. I used to have a Nokia mobile phone that had that as a ringtone. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> So obviously, Naomi, as, as well as your children's television career, you're obviously well known for your love of wildlife and nature as well. You've worked on programmes like Country File, Live and Deadly on CBBC, mm. your work with Steve Backshaw, etc. I'm assuming that your love of nature and wildlife comes in handy during lockdown. It really has been. Like I say, just sitting watching the birds, I don't know if they'll go, oh, there's, you've got a couple of parakeets sitting there I right now. I can see the parakeets right yeah. now, yeah. yeah. They've started yeah. just to come, the starlings. We've got an audience for our podcast. Yeah, we have. 
Oh, look at them. They're, they're yeah, bold, they're... aren't they? Um, it's a very high tree and there's actually quite a few right on the top. Yeah, so we've got a big ash tree at the end of our garden and an apple tree as well. And um, so we, we <laughs> look at it trying to get the... See, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here now because I'm rubbish at naming birds. My, my knowledge of birds goes as far as Big Bird from Sesame Street. Well, mine used to be exactly the same. And then I started doing Live and Deadly and the whole team on from the natural history unit in Bristol were just amazing and so inspiring and just set off this absolute passion in my world for for and birds especially it was one of the things I loved the most I was like I love watching the birds I'm not able to have a pet I'd love to have a dog but being away from home so often with work means I, I just couldn't have one so it's the closest thing I've got to a pet is the birds that I can watch daily in my garden and we have regulars that we name <laughs> they come back you know what got, sort of names we've got we probably can't say some of them are like woody for the woodpecker, woody woodpecker and, you know, yeah. nothing very adventurous or exciting but um yeah the just seeing the daily visitors is is really nice and can you just talk a bit about the power of walking and, and nature on your mental well-being as well well the other thing i've been doing is going to feed the ducks up at the local park and i do think just i, I definitely think getting outdoors i think sometimes when you're feeling really down and it can be so hard to motivate yourself to do anything even getting out of bed or getting up from watching a program on the sofa but I do think if you can get a bit of fresh air in your body it's so good for you and especially if you can go and walk and see some beautiful scenery again it just lifts your mood doesn't it mm. and and also I think it's a really great distraction I think watching birds and if I watch them and pay attention to what they're doing and actually try and figure out what they're busy doing it just takes my mind off my own issues and I concentrate on something else and I think that's really important to do because you can get a bit inward looking and inward worrying yeah. and turn your attention outwards. David Lindo is a bird expert. He always says, look up. And it's such a good piece of advice when you're out walking is just look up, you know, notice the clouds, take notice, notice the birds, yeah. Yeah. see what they're doing, see that they're all busy just getting on with stuff and they're not, they're not anxious like you are. <laughs> now you're a Bristol girl. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your childhood. Was it a happy one growing up in Bristol? Was it happy? Yes. Thankfully, yeah, I, again thank my lucky stars I was uh, yeah had a had a very nice upbringing lovely group of friends we were a big youth group that we used to hang out together and yeah very happy days in Bristol it's a great city love going back there my sister still lives there with my nephew so I head back there often and what were you like at school did you always want to be a TV presenter what were your dreams and ambitions yeah I did I knew from a really young age I've got a book I wrote at school for English um, when I was about eight years old and it, I, we had to write a little bit about our ambitions and I put I wanted to be a, a dancer or a children's television presenter and yeah I, I knew at a young age that that is what I wanted to do so I tried to sort of choose the subjects that would help me to achieve that goal as I went through. And I was advised a little bit against some of that. My teachers, I think, wanted me to do more academic subjects, whereas I, I wanted to do really art, arty subjects like art and music. And thankfully, I got to do them because things like art really helped me with fingertips and music's helped me with all the dancing and singing we do on Milkshake. And yeah, so I'm glad I studied the subjects I did. But I was quite, I was quite loud at primary school. And then when I went to secondary school, I suddenly got incredibly shy. I think you know hormones kick in and I just became painfully shy for the for majority of my secondary school and then sort of so it's a real back. contrast between yeah. primary and secondary yeah, yeah really and I'm not quite sure why that happened but um, 
yeah, I, I did go through a period of being so self-conscious, and I think all teenagers mm. go through that, don't they? Yeah. And, and who are your kind of TV heroes growing up who inspired you? Oh, Brian Kant, top of the list. That's going back a bit, show my age. I loved Philippa Forrester mm -hmm. in The Broom Coward. I loved Sarah Green on Blue Peter and Karen Keating on Blue Peter. Yeah, that probably they were they were the main ones that made me want to become a children's presenter. And you'll also be known for working on Milkshake for many years as well. Can you talk to me about that? Because I understand that not only working on it as a presenter, you're also a producer and choreographer on it as well. Yeah, well, we did everything. We were a very small team. So it was great grounding for learning the whole ropes of television really so we we did everything we made a show so we milkshake itself was is still is the continuity between the channel five children's programs but every now and then they'd let us out to go and make our own show and we did one called the milkshake show and we did different versions of that but that was great we we wrote all the songs we choreographed all the dances we sorted all the costumes we edited it we wrote the scripts between us you know it was made all the it must props. have been exhausting though it was it was absolutely full-on nearly broke a few of us but the amount of dedication and effort we put into it made us so made our, our love for it so strong you know i think the bond for anyone who has been at milkshake feels this real camaraderie and real yeah just love for the whole brand i've got very happy memories of milkshake and with the early mornings a challenge um, not too bad for me. I'm, I'm an early morning person anyway. Definitely more of a early morning than a night bird. What about you? Are you? Um, I'm more of a morning person. I have a crash yeah. in the afternoon usually. Do later you? On. Yeah. Do you have a little siesta? A little siesta, yeah, and a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Or tea. Yeah, no, get, no but it was really early. I had to get up about half four, quarter yeah. to five. So that was a bit of a challenge, especially in these kind of months, winter months, where it goes dark and it's cold. <laughs> and getting out of bed is just a challenge at that time. But no, it wasn't too bad. I want to come back to some of the more recent television you've done, like Live and Deadly, because then after Live and Deadly, your Nightmares of Nature came about, which saw you travelling all over the world. And I want to know from you your best memory of working on that programme to date. What's the coolest thing you've done or the place you've visited? Oh, see, finding the coolest thing from that show is very, very for hard choice. to pick yeah. because I was spoiled and I got to experience so many places and meet all these animals face to face that I would never have come into contact with. I'd never have booked a holiday to Alaska, for example, and that was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. I'd, I'd never have been able to go to the Bahamas, I don't think, or New Zealand. So yes, yeah, some of the places I've been to, I thank my lucky stars again for that. One of the best experiences that really stands out was swimming with a green turtle in the barrier reef and are they as friendly as they seem yeah, yeah. They, they're like the they just look so wise and so old real ancient creatures and i got given this great bit of advice actually from quite a few people who are you know real sea experts who dive a lot that if you are ever snorkel because i only snorkel i don't dive um i can't swim can you not <laughs> genuinely not really <laughs> it still pains me to admit it but no no. Is there I, a reason behind that? I can go in the water for a little dip, yeah. but in terms of... And if I've got a float, I can swim. Yeah. But I've just never been confident enough to like take my feet off the, off the, off the ground without, without so a float. You, you didn't have to learn at school? I had to learn at school, but it just didn't go well. Right. I had this really strict woman... Did so put you off? Well, I remember this instructor I had, Steph, her name, her name was. She was like, the only could be described as Rebecca Addington meets Miss Trunchbull. <laughs> I mean... Is it good... Yeah, Good she was terrifying, absolutely terrifying, Ooh, very yeah. kind of old-fashioned style, very strict. And I remember telling her I can't swim, and she was trying to get me to do a headstand underwater upside down. 
And oh, she was really trying it. to encourage me, and I thought, I just can't swim, and it just knocked me my confidence yeah. even more. I can completely understand why you would never have worn a swim So, after mentally that. scarred, I think, is yeah. the thing. Yeah. So, you, are you intending to try and overcome that one day? I really, well, my, bro- my brother always says to me, like, we're, we're on an island, Dan, you really should. And he's right. So, yeah. yeah, I should. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, because of Nightmares of Nature, I was literally thrown in the deep end so often and always to face my fears. And believe me, I had a lot of them and still do. But I am living proof that you can face your fears and feel actually a lot stronger and really proud of yourself when you do overcome it. So I believe that you could do it if you wanted. It's just taking the plunge. Well, speaking of overcoming fears, I understand you've actually swum with sharks yeah. without a cage around yeah. several times is that right yeah wasn't um, once enough no i know seven different species of shark i think wow. i've swum with now but the first time was probably the most extreme because of my huge phobia that i had all my life like i didn't go in an aquarium from the age of eight upwards because i was just terrified of sharks and didn't want to see one even if the aquarium didn't have a shark i wouldn't go in it couldn't look at photos of them I couldn't watch them on the telly we're just absolutely terrified yeah. and then when I started doing live and deadly we knew we were going to do a couple of episodes from an aquarium so I was like okay right I'm gonna have to face this fear so I said to Mark my husband I was like I'm gonna have to do this because you know I really want to present this program <laughs> and I want to you know I want to face this fear I don't I don't want to be afraid of sharks forever even though it's something you're not likely to come across. Yeah. It's not kind of the same as birds or something. Yeah. Anyway, so we went to London Aquarium together and I literally did step by step. It was one step at a time, holding his hand, covering my eyes and just gradually. It's that, it is that thing Ease of in. exposure yeah. therapy yeah. that they say about. And it is sadly a lot of the time facing your fears is literally doing that and putting yourself in the position that you're terrified of and then realizing that your fear does slowly subside mm. and actually quite quickly you suddenly realize you're not scared as you thought you would be yeah i think my biggest fear that i still haven't overcome is roller coasters and yeah. maybe it, i just need to get myself back to a theme park and, and give it another go because i put it off for so long i just can't do right big rides do you want to though not really i guess it's not quite the same in terms of like you don't have to ride a roller no. coaster i mean i didn't have to be a shark to be honest you can avoid them yeah. you can avoid roller I, coasters it's how much you want to i, I think, think i was always in with a group of friends who are adrenaline junkies that was the problem right so you just stood holding the bags that's me you? yeah Aww. and that's an, that's an important part of the group though, exactly I think. so yeah you know. doing a great favor yeah. for everybody security and all that you know yeah 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 <laughs> Very important service. <laughs> and would you say there are any fears for you now that you'd like to overcome still? I, I still battle with confidence. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's that's not um, that's not a phobia in the same way as a dog or something, is it? No. But um, I think I think like everybody, we all have that internal voice that constantly makes us question who we are, what we're doing, are we doing the right thing day by day? are we good enough you know and I think just battling your inner demons is a a constant battle isn't it I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about Butlins working as a red coat because I want to know what that experience is like is it as fun and bonkers as I've heard yes it is yeah (laughs) yeah my red coat days were so much fun and I'm still very much in touch with a lot of my red coat friends so one of my red coat friends was doing zumba with me this oh, really? morning okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so we're still, we're still in touch, touch. Yeah. my first year i was part of the wizard kids um What's the wizard kids that was like the children's entertainer group ah, okay. at the time and then the second year i was a dancer there 
and yeah you form really incredibly strong friendships there because you're there all the time you can't leave we work six days a week we only had one day off none of us had a car or means to travel or money to travel anywhere so we um yeah we sort of stayed there all year round we did christmas together there so you become a really close family and you know relationships there were pretty intense between various red coats and yeah it was it was it was a really amazing experience. We worked so hard. We were working from seven in the morning till 10 at night with a few breaks in the day, but it was full on and very tiring, but yeah, great fun. And I understand following your career at Butlins, your TV break came doing Wakey Wakey for Colton. I mean, <laughs> what was that like? How much did it mean to you when you broke, oh, broke into television? Oh, I was over the moon. Cause like I said, I'd known I'd wanted, I'd wanted to present children's television forever. And, uh, yeah, it was a magazine programme, so we got the opportunity to interview loads of different celebrities who would come on. I met Mr Motivator that year. And what a legend. Yeah, total legend. And all, all sorts of bands, and we did. We had music artists came on, we did cookery, it was fashion, and it was such a good learning experience for me. As a brand new presenter, I got to learn all these different skills, and I had a whole team around me who was so supportive and helped me to learn the ropes and um, we didn't have many viewers which was sad at the time but it did mean that we could make an awful lot of mistakes without having too much egg on our face. <laughs> it feels like to me as a viewer looking in from the outside that the children's television landscape has changed quite a lot especially this last these last couple of decades like you know there's yeah. been various rebranding of shows a lot of shows have gone online. Yeah. How do you see it sort of going forward do you think and do you think the things like the broom cupboard will will die out completely that kind of format? I hope not. I really hope it's not. It's nostalgia. Yeah, I'd, I don't know what the future is. It, it, and everything's changing so quickly, it's hard to keep up, isn't it? Mm. It makes me a little bit sad to think of children's telly as we knew it dying out. And I think whilst children are consuming media on different platforms, they still want the content. So you, they still need quality stuff to watch. So I think we have to maybe look at the different ways we put stuff out and where they find it, yet I think they still want to watch really mm. entertaining, quality programmes. So I think there'll always be a market for it. And because your audience is constantly new, yeah. <laughs> they're always changing, you know, they're there with you for a few years, then they move on to their next set of programmes and you get the new era grow up and um, move into you know, whatever age group you're making programmes for. I mean, even things like, used to get, when I was a kid, you used to have a lot of puppet shows, yes. but now it's, it's it's huge animation, isn't it, mostly? Yeah, and that's, well, I don't know, animation's very expensive to make as mm. well, but I love puppets. I've loved the times I've worked with puppets. Yeah. I'd love to have more puppet shows on the telly. Sesame Street and all that. Can't go wrong. It's just the best, isn't it? Now... Naomi, I know how important saving the environment is to you. We've recently seen the likes of obviously Sir David Attenborough, Greta, Prince William, all throw their weight behind encouraging the whole world to sort of wake up and take notice of what's going on. Yeah. I want to ask from your point of view, as someone that's so passionate about it, what would you say to people who are still perhaps aren't taking this as seriously as they could be and what sort of things could they start doing to make a positive change? That's a good question. <laughs> oh, thanks for giving me that question. <laughs> I, d I don't know why people aren't taking it seriously and that's the bit that I scratch my head and pull my hair out and I 
want to shout it from the rooftops. I don't understand what people haven't seen that somehow I feel like I've seen that isn't making them want to change their ways. Because, for example, earlier this year I went to a recycling centre in Cornwall, and that was one of two in Cornwall. And I stood on this sort of high up deck for about half an hour just watching the plastics be delivered by the truckload. And it was literally every couple of minutes a new truck full of plastic would arrive and get dumped. And this is happening all the time, and that's in one centre in around the country, and that's considering loads of people don't recycle at all. And I was just like, people aren't seeing how much waste we are producing. This this is not sustainable. We have to change our ways because we are going to be swimming in plastic. We're going to be up to our necks in it soon if we're not careful. Not just plastics, that's not the only problem we're dealing with. But, you know, one of the things that I can't understand why there are so many easy solutions to stop using plastics. That would be one of my first ones if I could beg anybody listening to not pick up a plastic bag if they can help it at the shop you know and just pick up I don't know a tub of margarine and put it in a plastic bag I want to just scream don't do that you know that bag is going to be around for hundreds of years it's not going anywhere and just use a bag that you've got at home just remember to take it with you please 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 that's one so easy change like we've switched to soap bars now instead of kind of plastic dispensers you know we've used those for years oh i've got so many changes i could give you no glitter on birthday cards as well glitter that's one of the worst isn't it yeah there's so many things balloons are a bit of a nightmare those balloon um you know when they release confetti cannons and yeah Yeah, but you know when they release balloons and it's such a tough one because i completely understand you want to pay tribute to somebody perhaps who's passed away and and it can be very moving to watch a load of balloons lift off into the sky but you you just might as well scatter them Mm. on the pavement where you're standing because they're going to land somewhere and probably do some damage to an animal somewhere the scary thing is there are so many animals at risk now because of this yes. and about you i can't think of anything worse than a world just full of humans i know oh yeah i know we're the worst <laughs> that's the worry we are the worst aren't we and you know i said i love turtles and then you see those images of turtles mm, tangled yeah. up in fishing net and other plastic things and it breaks my heart mm. so yeah i think I think anything we can do to... And, and it isn't just recycling, sadly, because the recycling system just isn't working properly as it should be. So it is about trying to refuse it and not use it in the first place or reuse it if you can. And there are some good plastics. It's just those single-use plastics that are a particular problem. I did this fantastic plastic uh, pupil power assembly just recently and we had all these schools who are trying to make massive changes in their schools. And I'm so proud of all these young people just say and they say reduce or we refuse is what they're saying so they're like change your ways businesses because we don't want this stuff in our schools anymore and when you hear kids they're so powerful and when they're united together as, as a big group shouting that you think yeah go on go on kids yeah, there's, no, there's not really a more powerful voice than a child's voice is there? no on a bit of a lighter note Naomi yeah, sorry um, no, no. One get me started I, I won't I, stop I well, we, we, we could do a whole podcast on the, <laughs> on the environment in the good old natter, I always ask the guests in each episode to tell me something about them, which perhaps many people don't already know. So have you got a random fact, no matter how quirky or, or random, that you can share about yourself? I don't know how random it is. I, I tap dance. That's is no, that, is no, that a bit yeah, random? That yeah, yeah. I mean, it would normally be the Rubik's Cube, but we've covered that. we covered that, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably my tap dancing and surfing as little side hobbies. How, how difficult is surfing? Because I, I mean, I don't know, I, I can't swim, but... <laughs> it's, I love it. 
it's such a good balancing you know it's a really it's a good workout all over workout you get absolutely exhausted if it's a if it's a day when the waves are powerful and it's windy or something it's just such a battle even getting your board down to yeah. the to the shoreline but i love it I'm, I'm not very good in fact i'm pretty rubbish but i just really enjoy being in the sea and having a go just finally naomi looking ahead to the future I want to know from you, what are your own personal dreams and ambitions going forward? What do you really want to do next? It's funny you ask that, Dan, because I'm in a real crossroads place and I think 2020s brought that home a little bit and made me kind of question in my own mind, what do I want to do next? And I, I'm, I'm honestly not sure at the moment and I've always been sure. So it's, it's a little bit unsettling at the minute mm. and I'm a little bit wobbly about it because I'm not... I'm not 100% sure. And I think in some ways it's good to know because I think if you can put it out there into the universe, then the universe can help you get on with that plan. But because I, I don't quite have one, I can't even try and <laughs> make it happen. So I'm not sure. I want to keep being creative. I'd love to keep working within children's television if I can, entertaining children somehow. I heard you want to do Strictly as well, is that right? Oh, I'd love to do Strictly. But who wouldn't, would you? I'd, 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 well, if I was famous, I'd do Strictly, just would because you? it's a good way to keep fit. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you get to wear all those like snazzy well, costumes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, this, this is it. It just looks like a fun way to keep fit. I can't, yeah. I can't dance. I'm a dad sort of disco dancer. But <laughs> if I was famous, Strictly would be the show I think I'd do. Yeah, I would love to do Strictly. Well, Naomi Wilkinson, thank you for having a good old natter with me. Oh, Dan, it's been my pleasure. It's so nice to meet you at last. Oh, you too, you too. Thank, thank you so much. Well, I do hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of A Good Old Natter. My huge thanks to Naomi Wilkinson and Peter Dixon, Giles and Bob for my theme music. Stay tuned for more future episodes of the podcast, whether it be on Podbean or on Spotify or iTunes. And until next time, keep nattering away.